Hey, Will I Like It listeners, do you like a good cup of coffee, one that's rich, flavorful, and ethically sourced? Then you need to check out Dynasty of Coffee, a Yorkshire-based online coffee business that offers a range of expertly crafted blends. All of their coffee is roasted to order to ensure freshness, and they're committed to nurturing the well-being of both individuals and the planet. Whether you're a fan of a bold, strong coffee or a smooth and mellow one, Dynasty of Coffee has a blend for you. Their four main blends are inspired by different British dynasties, Saxon, Viking, Tudor, and a decaf Hanoverian. So if you're looking for a delicious and ethically sourced cup of coffee, head to dynastyofcoffee.co.uk today and use the code SAXON10, that's SAXON, all capital letters, 10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Will I Vike It podcast. My name's Craig Brooks, and today I am at the Wiltshire Museum, and my guest is David Dawson. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I had a mind blank then when I forgot your last name. <laughs> <laughs> Professional. <laughs> uh, yeah, old something. Yeah. And David is the director of the museum. Not to be confused, as I realised yesterday when I googled your name, with the guy who plays Alfred the Great in uh, The Last Kingdom. You mean I'm not the same? <laughs> you mean I'm not as handsome as him? <laughs> it was one of those things. I sort of thought, I'd better like, do a little bit of background research. Yeah, so yeah. I, and I typed your name in and it just came up with The Last Kingdom. I was like, that can't be the same. No, no. Sorry. <laughs> Unless there's something you haven't told me. <laughs> yeah, so David is the director of Wiltshire Museum. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about what you do. Okay. Um, and how you got into that. Okay. Um, so I guess we'll start, as I say, I've done a bit of background research. So I know you started off as an archaeologist. Yeah. So what was it that drew you into that line of work? Into archaeology to yeah. start with? Well, okay. Um, sort of a couple of things, really. You know, my, my parents took me to castles and things. I got, you know, I got really interested in that. And then I think the real thing that really went was... Uh, well, there were two things, really. And one was the Tutankhamun exhibition. Yeah. You know, and that really cemented things. But before that, um, I lived not far from, I grew up not far from Reading, and the, the, uh, the museum lent out a Bronze Age axe in a Perspex box to the school. Yeah. And I was able to hold it. Wow. And it was that connection of something that was 3,000 years old that I could actually see and hold and have that connection yeah. with the past. So it was sort of those things together yeah. uh, that got me, got me really interested. Mm. And um, then, I, rather bizarrely, I, I was staying, uh, staying with an aunt and uncle in Devon. And uh, I was there for a, for a week. I can't remember why. I sort of, I sort of always got dumped, if you know what I mean. And uh, I, was there for, I was there for a week with my mum. And, we, uh, and there was an excavation in, on in town. And knowing the interest, my mum came along with me and yeah. we asked if I could go and have a go. And the, uh, the, the director said, well, you're a bit young. I was 13. Yeah. But, okay, you can, you, can have a, you can be here for a day. That's a thing, yeah. Okay, that's a thing. <laughs> More Two weeks later. than that if you're, if you're not, not into it. The, the dig had finished. So uh, I probably didn't mess up too badly. Yeah. So after that, then I started going on uh, excavations regularly, sort of at school holidays and things like that. Mm. And by that stage, then you know, that that was it. I knew I wanted to do archaeology, be yeah. an archaeologist. And so went to university. Yeah. And sort of went on from there. So how does that then lead to you becoming the director of a museum? What made you leave? Well, sort of doing digs in archaeology. Yeah, well, at the time, it was before the way that archaeology works now, mm. where in advance of a housing development, archaeologists are brought in to do excavations, and that's yeah. fully paid for. So archaeology really was a very much a hand-to-mouth business, and it was really, really very tough. The other thing was that uh, I, although I, could, I was fine with walls, you know, give me a good, yeah. good medieval castle. Yeah. Absolutely no problem. Soil colours, my eyes just weren't really up to it. 
So, you know, I, I knew what I could mm. do and I, equally I knew what I couldn't do. And then when I was at university, I helped with the university museum when we were doing a, a small redisplay, and I thought, yeah, this is really interesting. The idea of communicating that, you know, my enthusiasm for the past with people. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, okay, I like that. Um, and then I got, um, when I left university, I got uh, a job on an employment programme cataloguing museum collections at the Museum of Sussex Archaeology in Lewis. Mm. And that was it. That got me into museum yeah. training school. Yeah. Uh, and my first, mu- first sort of paid proper museum job. So I, I was very lucky. Mm. And it sort of still gives you that, that element of working with the history itself because you've actually got the items that you're preserving and looking after. Oh, yeah, that's what it's all about, um, yeah. Yeah, and as you said, you're more of a wolves person, whereas... <laughs> well, yeah, well, by having no, it in, the in terms of digging, you know, yeah. I just was not very good yeah. with soil colours and, yeah. you know, all the rest of it, which you need, you need to be able to differentiate things, and I just wasn't yeah. good enough. So you started off, your interest was Egyptian first, well, and then Bronze sort of, Age. Well, it was sort of... It would have started with... Um, with visiting castles and archaeological sites, you know, mm. did the usual get to Stonehenge and Apery and let's get in Long Barrow and so Do you know on. something I don't think, I only lived in Swindon growing up, and I don't think we ever did Avebury, Stonehenge, really? I don't, I don't have memories of it anyway, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. but then yeah. I know people now that haven't been to Avebury that oh, live yeah, yeah, in that yeah, area, sure. and uh, it just seems bizarre to me. Yeah, well, it takes all sorts. People come from all over the world to visit these sites. Yeah. I well, guess. yeah, but, you know, you find that a lot, that people just don't visit things that are on their doorstep, because they can do it any time. Yeah, this is true, yeah. You know, in, in, in the business, there's, mm. there's the why today question. Why should I visit today? You can always do it tomorrow. Yeah, you know, so it's always there, you know, yeah. Because you, you know, yeah, museums are, you know, quite interesting, because obviously we, you know, we do, you know, really into hardcore archaeology. Mm. And so on, but at the same time, we're a visitor attraction. We're a small business, so we have to think about, you know, answering that question of why today and give people a, a reason for visiting today, cutting and paying better, because <laughs> otherwise, yeah. the museum doesn't survive. Yeah, which I guess that's a sort of a little side thing we could mention is that you often have art exhibits and things on here, don't you? Which oh, yeah. they're for a limited time. Um, I believe you've got one coming up. Yeah. So yeah. when is the exhibit? So the exhibition has just opened. We had the private view on Friday, so you can come and see it for yourself. It's absolutely brilliant. I'll have to make sure I have a look before I leave. <laughs> a sneaky will. peek. <laughs> it's an exhibition by the artist Anna Dillon and the yeah. drone photographer Hedley Thorne. And together they're sort of combining um, the views of Wessex from above. And Anna's work is just absolutely stunning. And Headley's photo- photography is just brilliant. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'm already thinking now, can I, you know, I might have to buy one myself, <laughs> which is always the arbiter of uh, a good exhibition, whether I end up buying something myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've lost my train of thought now. You know, I was going to say as well, we, because we're, as we were mentioning, Avery, Stonehenge and all the rest of it, we're quite... Um, I was lucky, I don't know if lucky is the right word, of where we're positioned in Wiltshire with how much goes on around us. Yeah, um, absolutely. Particularly with a lot of the prehistory stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Well, that's, that's what really gets me. If you, you see my mug, I'll show it to the camera. Prehistoric man from Flintstone. <laughs> you, you might, uh, might give, give the game away a bit. Yeah, um, yeah I, I chose this museum quite carefully to come yeah. to because... Um, when I was at university, my now wife and I came on a, a field trip to do prehistoric Wessex. So we went to Avebury Museum here, yeah. Stonehenge, uh, Salisbury Museum, Cranbourne Chase, and then down to uh, the Dorset Museum in Dorchester. But coming here, I was just blown away by the collection. Mm. And also the fact that the museum here is run by the Archaeological Society for the county. So there's that combination of sort of archaeological research, publication, public engagement, amazing mm. collections. You know, it, just the whole thing just, yeah. just struck me. And um, 
we would come on, we'd do a more or less annual pilgrimage to Avebury, Stonehenge and the museum here. Mm. And so when the job came up here, you know, sort of one I'd always, it was always at the top of my list of a museum I wanted to run. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. So you've already answered is why, why Wiltshire? But we've... <laughs> well, yeah, and it's the archaeology. Why not? The quality of the archaeology, the quality of the collection. I mean, some who of the would, things... Who wouldn't want to run this place? Yeah. No, it's, you, you've got some amazing pieces. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of the... Um, would it be a brooch, the gold diamond brooch? Ah, or? that's the Bush Barrow Lossy. Yeah. Yeah. So that dates to about 2000 BC. So um, that's... You always hear on TV programmes about Stonehenge, about it being built. Mm. You never, ever hear about how it was used and yeah. how long it was in use for. So um, it was built... So the, as you see it today with the... the big sarsen stones with the flat lintels mm. on top. That was in place around 2,500 BC. And then um, it was in use for over 1,000 years. It was sort of a, no longer used after about 1,500 BC. So about halfway through that time, at 2,000 BC, there's a guy called, we, we call the Bush Barrow Chieftain, yeah. who was buried um, on top of a ridge looking down over the monument. So he's buried about a kilometre away. But people were buried around Stonehenge, at this period, not mm. at the monument itself. There was sort of a zone of respect. And he's buried with, as you say, this gold lozenge on his chest. Um, it was probably, it, it, it's not functional. It's purely for display. Yeah. You've got some beads, and it yeah. was that same sort of idea, or the, the cross you've got. Yeah. But it's, it's quite chunky. It's about the size of your yeah, hand Yeah, it's a like big piece. That. I was quite surprised when I saw it in person. Yeah, That's it's made of sheet gold. Yeah. And it's uh, decorated with uh, sort of embossed lines. And those are laid out to a tolerance of less than half a millimetre. And the angles on it, one of the angles is 81 degrees, which is the same angle between where the sun rises at midsummer and midwinter solstices. Wow. So there's an astronomical yeah. alignment in there as well. Yeah. So that just shows that at 2000 BC, it's very clear they could they understood astronomy, yeah, geometry, and mathematics, and um, because and and they were really skilled at metalwork. Mm. The um, there's a dagger that this chap was buried with that's that has um, is studded, uh, got a gold studded handle. And the studs are less than a millimetre long and thinner than a human hair. There's 140,000 of them decorating the handle of this dagger, each individually put yeah. in place. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. A lot of work goes into something like that as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh... Well, my guess is that's about three or four years' worth of work by mm. various craftspeople. That's incredible. Yeah. And, then... and yeah, because yeah, we call it prehistory, a lot of people think of sort of cavemen and stuff, don't we? And oh, Fred Flintstone. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, far from it, these people were really sophisticated. Yeah. Um, and what's, what I say as well is that we don't, we have no evidence of writing. That doesn't mean they weren't writing. Yeah. Because you look at ancient Egypt where we think you know they were really sophisticated of course they were mm. but the only reason we know of their writing is because they were carving on stone and writing on papyrus which has survived in the dry climate mm. here anything written on anything like papyrus anything like a sort of paper or skin or vellum or anything yeah. would have just rotted away yeah so it doesn't mean they weren't doing it so we should probably talk a bit about Saxon stuff because we've kind of veered off into prehistory which it's easily no, done, round. I'm only yeah. slightly obsessed by. <laughs> um, but a good time for that, I suppose, would be the Bronze Age burial up on um, Roundway Down, which, unless I misunderstand, was later there was a Saxon burial on the same site? That's right, yeah. Is that okay. correct? Well, um, this is Roundway Down above Devizes, yeah. and there's a, a, a series of Bronze Age barrows there. Mm. Um, one of them is really, is really very early. It's about 2400 BC. Um, mm. Anyway, so let's pass right along from yeah. that because you're not in the least bit interested. <laughs> well, I, um, I've started to take an interest in Bronze Age. Okay, I well, am starting to research you'll get, you'll food. Get the, you'll so get there in the end. I'm one getting day, there. One day. Yeah. Um, but the, the one that's absolutely amazing so is up by um, what's called Oliver's Castle. Yeah. 
Um, it's, that's a, a late Bronze Age hill fort, probably dating to about 1800 BC, something like that. Mm. And it's perched on top of slopes looking down over the River Avon. Yeah. That's actually a, uh, a geological fault. So you've got really steep, really high chalk mm. cliff almost, cliff escarpment, uh, chalk escarpment looking down over the river valley. Yeah. So when you go there today, the site, it, you, there are trees along the, the whole of that escarp, that escarp slope. Mm. So what you can't see is the view. But on, on top of the, the ridge, there was a Bronze Age barrow. And it would have looked... <coughs> It looked down over the river valley. Actually, of course, it's the other way around. People have been living down at the bottom. So they're looking up. And they'd have looked up and they'd have seen this barrow silhouetted on the horizon. So probably someone quite important. Yeah, it, both in yeah. the Bronze Age yeah. and particularly in then in the Saxon period. Because as you say, what, what in the Saxon period, um, this burial was made into the existing Bronze Age mound. Hmm. It was excavated in... 1845, if I remember rightly, um, and very badly. Even uh, for the time, yeah. it was really badly excavated. And what was found was the burial of a woman yeah. um, and some bits of iron. But she had with her um, a bronze bucket, which is always a rubbish name for it. It's um, a drinking vessel, so it would be... It's, it's, looking at my, my mug, it's about that high and about sort of twice the diameter. Mm. Made of yew. Well, the, the yew had, in this case, had rotted away, but it, it really is nearly always yew because that um, is very resistant to water and with bra uh, bronze bindings. Yeah. So that's a drinking vessel. And then she had a necklace which had, um, which of gold, set with um, sort of gold set with garnets and amethysts and other precious stones. And then also at her head, she had um, two gold pins, the head set with garnets, and then linked to a little circular stud with enamel. And that's got a cross on it. So that's really interesting because the mm. cross indicates Christian. Yeah. She also was buried with a tiny little gold coin called a tremis. And that was struck by um, a bishop in central Gaul. So central France. Mm. Um, so that's really sort of quite interesting set of stuff. Now, it's, we now know that the, the bits of iron she was buried with are the, um, the iron bits that went with a bed. So she was laid out on a bed. Right. And then alongside her, the, cor uh, the corners were buried the burnt bones. And I have to look at my list because I can never remember what they are. That's all right. Burnt bones of a cat, dog, horse, fox, and a deer. Is that a weird selection of animals? Yeah. So the cat and the dog, pets. Possibly. Well, why not? You know, it's the yeah. obvious thing. The Vikings used to skin them, so <laughs> it well, might not be a pet. <laughs> well, after death, mm. perhaps not a pet, but yeah. uh, but cat. Yeah. You know. Um, and then obviously horse, sign of status, but also you know you would eat them. Fox, mm. you wouldn't eat that, I don't think. I think there's evidence that the Saxons did. Yeah. Okay. And badgers, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, Roadkill. Yeah. I think. I'm thinking Ramsbury, which is still fairly local to here. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, going off the top of my head now, but I'm sure there are finds at Ramsbury for, for, yeah, foxes and badgers, I'm sure oh, there is. Okay. I'd have to double check that. And one. then deer, obviously. Yeah, you know, looking like a good bit of venison. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, that's, that's really quite an interesting burial. Now, mm. um, as I say, it was really badly excavated. Yeah. And, um, Oh, sorry, let me, let me carry on with that strain of thought, and then we'll go back to that. Yeah. So, a bit of a weird selection of stuff. So, she's got a cross. Mm. You know, there's the, the cross on what was probably uh, for a veil. Yeah. The two pins probably held a veil or a head, headdress. Mm. But with a cross on it, so that means she's Christian. But Christians don't bury people with grave goods. Mm. Well, actually, sort of more recent research is showing that actually they did, 
but only up to about 670 AD when there was an edict from the Pope saying, thou shalt, shalt not bury people with grave goods. Mm. And the, this court coin from Gaul at around 640, so dates to just a bit before that sort of edict came into, into place. Yeah. So to place that in, in sort of in uh, sort of around other burials, six two five ish is mm. the Sutton Hoo, the famous Sutton Hoo burial. Yeah. With obviously lots of evidence of Christianity. Mm. So this is going to be six sixty, six seventy, something like that. Now I have a uh, I I you you've got archaeological evidence, which yeah. is the stuff you find. Mm. Then you have theories based on that. And then I sometimes come up with these stories that take that evidence, take the theories and go one step further. And the great thing about archaeology is you can't prove me wrong. Well, not usually, <laughs> anyway. It does happen, it does happen. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, anyway. So yeah. my story here is that this is the time in, in Wessex, this is when the king of Wessex is King Aini. And we know that he had a daughter, but we don't know her name. Mm. Now, it was fairly common for women, um, particularly if they'd married and then become widowed, in their retirement, they become nuns. So where you are in Roundway, on the top of this ridge, you're looking down over the modern village of Bromham. Yep. Bromham was a royal Saxon estate. Perhaps see where I'm going here. Yeah. Could it be that this is the burial of the daughter of King Aini? Because if she's got a headdress yeah. with a cross on it, is that her role in her role as an abbess? The coin was struck by a bishop in central France. You know, the stuff she's got is gold, it's garnets. Garnets come from uh, Sri Lanka or Afghanistan. Mm. You know, this is really top-end stuff. This yeah. is a royal burial, it yeah. has to be. And the coin, given to her by a bishop, in, given, you know, it's struck by a bishop in central France. Was that given to her by the bishop she was training with? Did she go to central France to train? Or... Would it be the other way around? Is after burial because I know, probably more with the Vikings is that people would come and pay sort of homage to someone. So funerals might take a few weeks, yeah, and they'd add. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you, if you look at Sutton Hoo, you know there are objects that clearly pe the the king there had collected in life. Mm. I think it's much more likely the things yeah. they had in life. Yeah. So that's my story. Yeah. <laughs> is that this is the, 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 the daughter, a princess, if you like, the daughter of King Aini, mm. who had uh, become a nun, joined the church perhaps, and uh, died and was buried. But yeah. today, when you visit the site, there's nothing left. It's been ploughed flat. Mm. But you have to imagine the trees aren't there and looking, and you know, that burial, burial mound would have been yeah. really stood out on, at the top of the hill. Now, the the thing that we've but, uh, is is really interesting is that about 30 40 years ago the site was re-excavated by a team mm. from the university of durham and they've not published their results because the uh, the leader of the team has ended up being the head of department now they've just retired and they're getting to back to work on the burial now in the meantime mm. There's been the odd change. So we now have DNA analysis. We have strontium yeah. analysis, isotope analysis of yeah. teeth. So the, the head of department, she is now going to throw all those techniques at the human remains that were excavated. So they might prove your theory. Or, or disprove. Or disprove, or come yeah. up with something completely yeah. different. Yeah. But it's going to be really interesting. The other thing is that there's been a whole series of finds over the last 30, 40 years mm. um, of royal burials that are of equal importance. One, uh, the one at Prittlewell in, mm. in Essex you may have come across. 
And there's very recently been a find in Northamptonshire of two almost identical gold pins linked linked by a gold chain in the same way. Yeah. So there's a sort of new context in which to look at that burial. Mm. And because it was so badly excavated, has never been properly published. Then you know when this research is done and published, it's really going to put a brand new spotlight on this important burial because it's been ignored because it's yeah you know it's so out of date. No one's done any work on it. It's bizarre that something like that gets pushed to the side, isn't it? Like someone of well, it, it does such happen. importance yeah, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it ha- it's happened to several objects in our yeah. collections that are of yeah. international importance, but because they've not been published recently, they've just been forgotten about. Mm. So do you think they would have buried her there because of, as we were saying before with the Bronze Age, that you could look up and see them? Or do you think it was intentionally on the same site as the Bronze Age burial? Or is that just a coincidence? Um, Good question. Who knows? Mm. As you know, there's a a lot of examples where Saxon burials are placed on... Um, yeah. in and around um, uh, Bronze Age barrows. Yeah. Presumably that's because it was thought to be a, you know, a sacred place yeah. in some shape or form. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting a, a thought. Barrow clump in, um, that's been uh, was excavated by Richard Osgood. There's something like nearly, nearly 100 Anglo-Saxon burials in and around that Bronze Age mound. Mm. So it's clearly been thought of as a you know, a place of burial, a place of respect. Yeah. And then you sort of go back to the, the names for these places. Um, in, in Wiltshire, we've got sort of Adam's Grave, and mm. Giant's Grave, and things like that. So there's that link with these prehistoric monuments that people didn't understand. They were linked with the deep past. Mm. So it's clearly, it must have been felt to be, you know, an appropriate place to bury someone of great importance. Yeah, and that idea of, as we do with churches and graveyards now, don't we? We put everyone in one place, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So if they had this site that they knew had been used previously, it would make sense. That's the, that's yeah. the right place to put someone. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that they didn't have any like superstition about digging up a, a spot of a, an old grave. Well, but if you've got a deep respect for the ancestors, you can show that in two ways. One is to mm. leave them alone, and the other is, you know, you, you, you do find bits of them and celebrate them. Yeah. Sorry, this is where I go back to my Bronze Age <laughs> obsession, which you probably would not want to go into, but, you know, yeah. they were actually using bits of people to make objects with. Yeah. So were they... We don't know whether that's people that were related to them. You know, I've, I've got my grannies. Yeah, uh, leg bone as a as a dagger sheath, you know, uh, for, a, for a, used as a dagger fitting, or whether mm. it was an enemy killed in battle, you know, quite what those relationships were, we don't really know. Yeah, because then you could imagine that if it's your enemy's bone, that maybe you thought it had yeah, some kind of power. disrespecting them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you're showing your power exactly. Yeah, but um, the Boscombe Bowman, mm. if you, which is um, not. Uh, burial not, by, not far from Amesbury, there was a, a, wooden, a wooden box, if you like, it wasn't really a coffin, but it was bigger than that. Yeah. And seven people, seven men were buried consecutively in that same box. And as the body decomposed, the bones were shifted to one side when the next one was put in. Hmm. So, you know, that was in the Bronze Age, how they were respecting their ancestors. Yeah. You know, there's no disrespect there. Mm. It's just that's how they did it. So it's good. Yeah. You know, it, we, we, we have to think beyond our modern British way of thinking yeah. and look at how people did things in the past and do things in different parts of the world. Mm. So, as you know, I did ask you a little bit before I came whether we could talk a bit about Potton because I'm a little bit biased because that's where I live without mm. giving away too much information. Amazing Bronze Age nightmare. Yes. <laughs> Let's pass right along from that. We'll, we'll move on from that one. Um, because it was upon visiting the church that I noticed they had a Saxon font, um, yeah. which I might cut in here just for people to have a look at what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about, because yeah, um, yeah. I've got a little bit of video of it. Um, 
But then when I tried to look into it, I couldn't find much. I know there's been excavations in the area. So yeah, is there much for us to actually discover about Potton or am I sort of hitting a yeah, dead end no, when I look Saxon into it? The Saxon church at Potton is absolutely fascinating because there was an excavation in, um, in Potton in the 1960s and they yeah. found traces of a wooden church. Mm. But this isn't where the modern church is. See, what happened in 99.9% of places, of, yeah. of villages, is that there would have been um, a wooden Saxon church. Mm. And then that was, would then have been replaced in stone on the same site. Yeah. So occasionally you have excavations um, of churches and they find small bits, sort of traces of the foundation trenches of a wooden church. But at Potton, the church was moved. So, you know, there's the... Um, it's the porch house, isn't it? Yes. With the amazing sort of late medieval um, buildings sort of jetting, jutting out. I think anyone street. that's heard of Potton probably envisions that building because exactly, all the yeah. pictures are of that. And hope that the HGV lorry doesn't. Oh, I wouldn't want to live there. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the back garden of there, hmm. they found the, uh, the traces of a, uh, a cross-shaped building, uh, and those were trenches cut down into the soil. Mm. Um, and that's sleeper beams for um, a Saxon church. So the church was down in the valley. Right. And then, it, the, presumably in the Norman period, then one, it was moved and put at the top of the hill. Mm. Because, of course, the, um, you probably know that Potton was, um, was the site of the palace of the bishops of, or sort of summer, summer residence yes. of the bishops of Sal yeah. Salisbury. Yeah. And they'd obviously have thought that a you know, rubbishy wooden church down in the valley, not good enough. It's got to be at the top, you know, bluff looking, you know, top of the hill looking yeah. out over the valley. That's where it should be. My, my palace is on the hill on the other side. They look across at each other. Yeah. You know, it's all about power, yeah. isn't it? And probably yeah. with the road to devises, well, to the, the devises which the bishop had recently had built as a castle and founded a market founded a town to make money you mm. know this is all about demonstrating his power so he's got his summer retreat he'll be able to look at the town the castle that he yeah. was his look at the town the bustling town that was making lots of money and then the church that went with his his summer house yeah on the you know on um, the hill overlooking um, the, the village where all the plebs lived who did all the hard work <laughs> it's interesting to think of them moving the church because as we were saying before about sacred sites and things like, and often they're built on top of older sites. Yeah. So it feels like quite a bold move to to move it to relocate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, and it didn't happen very often. Mm. So that's what makes it so unusual, and so interesting. Does that make it easier from an archaeological perspective? Because you can actually go into the foundations, as it were. Whereas yeah, yeah. Um, well, the excavation was fairly speedy mm. so but uh, he did uncover the whole i think most of the plan of the church which is something you just can't do with standard church archaeology yeah because there are so many graves and mm. later building works means that you just pick up bits of the yeah the plan of the set the saxon church so there, i presume there were burials at the saxon church as well were they moved uh we don't know can't remember <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to read the report yeah no it's an in interesting yeah because when you move the church, do you then move the bodies with yeah, the church? Yeah, they would have done. Um, no. I, th I think um, the... I don't remember there being any description of graves, mm. but it was quite a small-scale excavation, so... And it, it's quite likely with a timber church you wouldn't bury people inside. Yeah, yeah. it's not quite yeah. the same as a, uh, as a stone church, so yeah. it's quite likely they'd be around the outside. Yeah. Is there any other evidence in, well, in Potton for...? Yeah, well, as you say, the, the Saxon font. Mm. So that's interesting because you can imagine that the font would have been... You know, it was really important. The baptism is, is much more important then mm. than now. And baptism would often have been for adults. So it's, you know, we think of it today for babies, but yeah. then it would have been for adults. So you'd yeah. have been baptised... Um, it may well have been almost like the first communion today. Yeah. And it was after that then you were able to take communion. So, you know, mm. it's much more important. 
So you can imagine that it would be, you know, the first thing you would do um, is getting a decent font. Mm. So that's why the Saxon font, and it would have been moved as part of the sort of taking over the, the sanctity, if you like, of the, the earlier site of the church. But yeah. uh, we also have, um, in, in, on display in the museum, we've got a, uh, a stone that's about that size with a carved cross on it. Mm. And that's difficult to date precisely, but it's sort of end of the Saxon period, beginning of the Norman period. And that's clearly, that's a grave marker. So, yeah, there's, there, there are those nice bits yeah. of evidence for the, the Saxon church. And yeah. we don't know where that was found, but that comes from, in, in recent times, we know it's from the church at the top. Mm. It's yeah. not from the, yeah. the church down in the valley, so yeah. that's probably after it was moved. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 That makes Potton very unusual, because I can't immediately think of another place where we know that there's a, the Saxon church was moved at that time. Yeah. It's, yeah, interesting from a couple of sort of thoughts, because churches are often sort of higher up, so you can see why they would have moved it, but then you wonder why they put it in the valley to begin with. Well, that's uh, where people were living. This, because, yeah. you know, you, there's a stream down there, you want to live by the stream, so you've got easy access to water. But, I mean, you're, you're talking still fairly close, aren't oh, they? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yes, it's a really yeah. steep hill. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't want to walk up the hill to, with all their building material. Too much like hard work. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's bizarre. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. That's the interesting thing about archaeology and history, though, isn't it? It's yeah. making, like you said, about narratives and things before. Yeah. But also, you don't know about things like land ownership. Who owned the land? Mm. You know, the, whoever, uh, the, whoever owned the manor of Potton, yeah. did they actually own that bit of land? Was that owned by... You know, was the top of the hill owned by someone else? Mm. So they could only have it built in their on their land, you know, and it's yeah. things like that. that yeah. You know, you just can't you can't guess. Yeah. Shall we move on to some food? Are you are you game for some food today? No. Yeah, very briefly. Like, yeah. yeah. Some, some, what we could do is do it's some. It's getting food. very close to lunchtime. So yeah. It's a really good idea. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> so, um, on the last episode, anyone that's watched, I had a blacksmith on, and we cooked half a pig's head. <laughs> You look scared. <laughs> I'm starting to feel a little uncertain. So that left me with a half a pig's head. Um, and to be honest on that one, we ended up, we did it at a reenactment event. Um, time got away with us and it was fine. It just, it could have done with cooking for longer, I think. So I took the other half and I've made something that's known as head cheese, which doesn't sound pleasant. I've never tasted this. <laughs> I think I know what's coming. So it's, it's the head that's been boiled down mm. um, for several hours. All the meat's picked off and diced. And then you pour the resulting stock over it and it sets like a jelly. Okay. Um, okay. And this is not the brains? There's no brains in this one. No, because the butcher from I it from, they've been... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you can get brains, but it's quite tricky, yeah. I must admit. There aren't many pig's brains. So that is, that is one thing that I've made myself this week. Um, it's interesting, because mm. if you come across Devise's pie? No. You'll have to look up the recipe. And that's made of boiled up brains and various oh. other things. I've not come across that one. So, see, <laughs> what you've got is the predecessor yeah. of Devise's pie. So I've, I've only recently, I say recently, what with COVID and stuff, it feels recent. Um, we moved here three years ago. So it still feels new, if you know what I mean. Um, so no, I haven't come across. I'm going to have to look that one up now yeah. and make a pie. <laughs> <clears throat> so, let me see, I hid it from, from your, your view. So we've got that. Which I did try this earlier and it did, yes, look. So that's a thing. Okay, that's a thing. <laughs> More pleasantly than that, if you're if you're not not into it, I should probably shall I quickly show that, just so people can see what we're talking about here. So it's just the gelatin from all the bones and stock, and with various bits of 
meat and fat from surprisingly meatier pig head. I was quite surprised, I must be honest. But more pleasantly, you'll, you'll like to know that yesterday I went to visit the local beekeeper. Um, and he was saying, so he's got this honeycomb. This is pot and bees. Or pot and honey, I think he is on Instagram. Um, and he said what he suggests to people is that they use it as part of a cheese board. I wasn't linking the two together, don't worry. <laughs> so he was saying a cracker with a bit of brie and some honeycomb. So I made some crackers this morning, which probably a bit more pleasant than head cheese. <laughs> um, and I've also picked up some local cheese. Um, so I didn't go for the brie, but I went for some goat's cheese from Avery Goat Farm. Ah, yeah. So I tried to it's, tie in a couple of... delicious. You've had it before? Oh, certainly have. The Brightwell Ash, which actually technically is made in Gloucestershire, but they sell it at Avery. Actually, no, is it Oxfordshire? I think it might be Oxfordshire, not Gloucestershire. One or the other. It's made somewhere. <laughs> it's British cheese, um, and it's my favourite. Um, so I thought, potentially, we can try the head cheese, or we can try the local recipe of crackers with honey and cheese. Is it either or, or both? We can do both. Let's do both. Let's do both. Brave man. <laughs> well, you can try. So after that. <sighs> I did tripe on the podcast. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't swallow. It's horrible, horrible stuff. Um, the big knife's going to be better for that one. Yeah. I mean, we could always try that on a cracker, which might make it a bit more palatable. Have the cracker ready to take away the taste if it's really disgusting. Yeah. I'm not but that actually, into it like smell, it smells really nice. I'm not so into like the gelatinous mm. things. So shall we just cut it a couple of? Like, uh, it smells like pate. Do you know what I was going to say? It smells like dog food. <laughs> Don't ask how I know about dog food. But <laughs> you only know how it smells rather than how it tastes. Oh no, I've eaten it. Yeah. It comes from the question that comes later, worst food ever. So I sat down with the manager of the Ancient Technology Centre and a couple of friends, and we ate what everyone said was the worst food ever. And one of those was dog food. I shouldn't have mentioned whilst I'm chewing this, because it's, mm. but that's not bad. It's quite bad. Yeah. Tender. As you say, quite, rather more fatty than anything I'd choose to eat, but it, it's not that different to a it's a very, a very coarse um, mm. pate, which isn't particularly surprising because that's basically what pate is. Yeah. I did chuck in the stock, there were some caraway and um, carrots, onions, garlic to try and flavour it a bit, but mm. it mostly just tastes kind of creamy and meaty. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. Mm. The fat kind of reminds you of the bit you get round like a corned beef. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I gather you can do the same thing with any head, so goat, sheep, human, <laughs> long pig. <laughs> That's mm. not what we've got today. Yeah. You'll be. Yeah. I'm actually pleasantly surprised by that because mm. I wasn't sure, but. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I think that was better than eating the head and just carving bits off <laughs> with the thing looking at me. Uh, yeah, I'd find that yeah. difficult. I'll leave that one there. I'll wash that up later. Hmm. My wife was like, you're not going to take that. <laughs> Surely you're not going to eat that. <laughs> oh, yes. tell, I might have drawn the line at brains, but... Um, yeah. yeah I've done brains once. Um, yeah, cooked up some goat heads. Um... It was okay. It's not the worst thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, so I thought if we did what the beekeeper recommended, do the cheese with the honey on a cracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really interesting. Um, something I've never tried. And how, how do you make crackers? Those are Isn't a mixture. Really they are sourdough. So you get your sourdough starter, flour and water. It's fermented. 
mixed with uh, rice flour, uh, a little bit of salt, and then just rolled out as thinly as you can get them and then baked in the oven until they're crisp. Mm, I think it was about 20 fresh. minutes. Mm. They were made um, about half past seven this morning. <laughs> Got a fairly, <laughs> need to get some food. Good for the tea. Mm. <laughs> so great. And I've had his honeycomb before, so I'm trying to think where he, because he did tell me he's got various hives. I think this one was, because I bought some honey from him as well. And one of them was from Carnhill Locks. He's got his hives up there, but I can't remember. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to come on the podcast and tell people that I'm stupid and I forgot. <laughs> but yeah, his honeycomb. I mean, I don't want to grab a piece for fingers and all that. Find his brother knife. Yeah. Right? And then we'll... A bit of the bright well ash. love honey. I can't think of honey and cheese though. It seems like an mm. odd... So I'm just trying to honey. Mm. So this stuff is wrapped in ash and then left to go mouldy. But I think you said you've had this one anyway, so... Mm. Oh, that's fabulous. Because I thought you might reject the head cheese, so I thought we need a backup. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to give? And I thought we'll go for something from the local local mm, area. Mm. I'm just thinking, best bet is just going to be to, and then use that one with a bit of. It's not the cheapest of cheeses, but. Um, Whenever I'm passing, I do tend to pick some up if they've got some. So I'm going to try exactly what Paul said. As well? Oh yeah. So now we're on a jam and cream question here, aren't we? Which first? Oh. <laughs> I, I think it's got to be the honey first, because then that'll keep the cheese in place. That is an interesting question point. Um, I've already put my cheese on. Well, I could swap. <laughs> Go on then, let's just... Bit of honey. I figured, because he said brie, but I thought a creamy cheese. Yeah. Of course, you have cheeses with things in them, like cranberries and um, sort of Windsor Dale with apricots and things mm. like that. So that's sweet. Savory. Sweet, savory combination. Christmas cake with an apple and cheese. Yeah, people put brie on their Christmas puddings, don't they? Mmm. Mmm. An interesting combination. Yeah. Not something I would have considered, yeah, but... I could go for that. Mmm. There you go. So if the um, honeycomb goes missing, you know where it's gone. You steal it while you're not looking. <laughs> well, he's only down in Potton. And he does lots of markets and things, so if you see him around... I am, I've been pushing to get him on the podcast since about November when I started, I think. Right, you'll have to persuade him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I am persuaded by that. I think that's a bit more of a success than the uh, the head cheese. Head mm. cheese isn't bad, but... Um, it was fine. I wouldn't uh, go out of my way. But this, <laughs> is, uh, this is good. It's always difficult from my perspective as well as to like preempt what the guests will eat or... Mm. And also to keep it interesting. If I serve the same thing every week, it gets a bit boring for people watching, I would imagine. No, oh, it's got to be a surprise. But, yeah, so I'm trying to mm. come up with some new things. Neither of the, I can't plug my books here because neither of the recipes are from the book. <laughs> maybe a future maybe book. the next maybe book. the next book. Tado crackers. I'll try and get the recipes written up before I release the episode. So if you check out my website, hopefully you'll find the crisp breads and the head cheese. And another good thing with head cheese is a whole pig's head is only five pounds because nobody wants them, I guess. But but. There's a fair amount of food for... Yeah, yeah, you need a big pan. I actually had to use a butcher's saw to cut it down again into quarters. And then, because I couldn't get a pan big enough. 
So I'm glad it was already cut in half because it made it a bit easier. Hmm. <laughs> Rather you than me. Hmm. So shall we move on to our final questions? Because I've kept you for quite a while already. If you wish. So the first question, and actually that reminds me something else we haven't talked about, but I think you can do it now. <laughs> if you had an unlimited budget, what would be your dream project? <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's rather an easy one. Um, yeah. Uh, I need 11.6 million pounds. Well, you've got that... an unlimited budget. <laughs> yep. Well, okay. Well, let's make it 25. Yeah. And I would move the museum to the former Assize Court in Devizes, which right. is just, it just looks like a museum. It's got four columns. Yeah. Uh, bath stone front. Um, and it's just an amazing building. Because mm. the, it, it's been derelict for 30 years. So, and it's listed grade, uh, grade two star, really ought to be grade one. It's grade two star listed. And it's just shocking to see it. Yeah. Um, so um, we do that up, put a bit out the back, make it into a new museum. Very simple. Nice. Yeah. So the, I'm glad you're asking me that today because yeah. we, we've recently heard that we've had funding awarded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund to get us on our way. And the, the, the funding is for two years of developing plans further. The idea basically is you get to the point where you've got planning permission listed building consent mm. and then you apply again and if they give you then they give you the money to actually do the work so we're quietly confident that if everything works out then we will be able to do the project yeah this is quite a long-term project because i know i've i've spoke to you i don't know if you remember i spoke to you in the marketplace yeah, yeah, some time back yeah. um I think you were looking at like 10 years or so. Yeah, well, that yeah. was then. But we've had this thing called COVID. Yeah. Well, also, we, I sort of got the idea when I first arrived in Devizes, which is 15 years ago now. I've been in Devizes for about two days, wandering around. Because mm. until you move somewhere, you don't wander in quite the same way. Yeah. I was wandering around, saw the building, my jaw just dropped. And I thought, I'll have that. <laughs> Yeah, so that was it. 2008. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are, 15 years on, yeah. Yeah, and you've just, yeah, so I, as I said, I completely forgot we got sidetracked, but yeah, actually yeah. Yeah. I realised that it ties in with that question quite Absolutely nicely. perfect. Yeah, yeah, because I'd seen just a couple of days back, I think, it was on your social media That's about right. the funding. That's right, we've recently announced yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Right, so the next question. Yeah. Do you think you could survive on a Viking Age diet? See why not? I will have a bash at eating nearly everything. Okay. So I don't see why not. Yeah. 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 Is there anything you'd miss? What would I miss? Cup of tea. Cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the listeners, I heard you. <laughs> has to be the cup of cup tea. Cup of tea, yeah. You're not going to have a cup of tea in the Viking Age. Yeah. I don't think that one's come up yet. Apart from a cup of tea, I don't think, uh, I don't think I'd miss anything else much. I like uh, sort of fresh fruit and vegetables, but uh, You'd fresh have fruit. some. But vegetables yeah. would be fine. Fresh fruit, you know, the, the sort of peaches and so on, is a complete no-no. Yeah. So I'd miss that, but I love apples. Mm. So uh, most of the year I'd be quite happy. Yeah, although the apples would be more like a crab apple style, so you're looking at mm, tart, right. not yeah, so sweet, yeah. not smaller. True, true. Mm. That's the sort of thing you forget when yeah. you're not thinking about food in quite the same way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, I miss 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 fruit then, mm. but it's the cup of tea. Yeah. Really. Well, I suppose I suppose I'd be drinking beer there. So yeah. Maybe there's some compensation. Daily beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Small beer, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe yeah. that would be all right. No, no, I'd still miss the cup of tea. Mm. It's that question, isn't it, of whether you'd be aware that you used to have it or not? Oh, well, that Because if be you were thrown back in time, you oh, wouldn't. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't notice, yeah. But, I, yeah, for the sakes of the question, you'd be aware that you didn't have tea. What's the worst thing you've ever eaten? The worst thing. The worst thing. One of the worst is sauerkraut. 
You know, I've had another sauerkraut. No way. I think, think about it, actually, the worst mm. has to be, and this is because my wife's recently opened a jar and put it in the fridge. Yeah. And it stinks it out. Kimchi. <laughs> Absolutely and utterly disgusting. So those are the worst. And that she yeah. forced me to try some. Yeah. And it tastes as bad as it smells. Yeah, I suppose it does taste like it smells. It is one of those, isn't it? But yeah, um yeah. I'm not yeah. sure that would be very handy if I was a Viking. Because of course, you know, preserving something in vinegar is a good you know, is a good way of preserving things. Yeah, we do it with wild garlic. Yeah. You salt the wild garlic and preserve it under the liquid. Yeah. Which sort of comes out with that same kind of, yeah. We had a lot of preserved food in the Viking Age. Yeah, well, you had to. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's I your might word. be a bit yeah. of a failure in the Viking times. <laughs> Just eating fresh food, you're going to struggle. Well, mm. if it's some um, food is smoked or salted, that'd be fine. Yeah. You know, it's the... Pickled. Pickled stuff. <laughs> so the next question is, what's the most memorable meal you've ever had? That has to be. Um, I went to um, Brittany many years ago. And this was when I was still a student. We're traveling mm. by bus, arrived yeah. in this small town on the coast of Brittany, got off the bus, lunchtime, local restaurant, on the beach, sort of just back from the beach, so you've got beach, fishing boats, road, restaurant, Moule Marinière. So... You Don't know, know what that is, actually. Ah, no. Mussels, yeah. white wine, onion, garlic, just a few herbs. With crusty um, baguettes. Yeah. It was just magical. I don't like mussels. <laughs> I like mussels? No. Hopeless. hopeless. <laughs> yeah, no, that was just not a fan. gorgeous. I've had them, but I'm not, not a... Yeah. The sort of slight follow-on from that was another memorable meal. Um, well, it wasn't so much of a meal, it was taste. It was um, camping with the family up on the Black Isle in... Uh, just beyond Inverness in Scotland. Yeah. And the kids pick, uh, found some mussels and we barbecued the mussels. And they were gorgeous. <laughs> About six mussels. <laughs> so but fresh. I'm not sure I can co- quite call it a, <laughs> a meal. Yeah. But an experience. And it, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I've forgotten my own last question. <laughs> I think it's... Oh, it's the Valhalla question. Which, yeah. Sorry. I got distracted by the muscles and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so the very last question is, you've died and your family and friends are preparing your grave goods. What food and drink do you get to take to feast in Valhalla? Sorry to repeat myself, but it has to be more marinier. Yeah. <laughs> the starter. Mm. Uh, I can have a three-course meal, I think. It's, uh, it's your choice here, so okay, yeah, well, three-course. Three meal. <laughs> well, I might expand it to five, but I'll, I'll stick with a three-course yeah. one. So, more marinier for starters. Of course, with French baguettes. Yeah. It has to be French. Um, and main course would be grilled salmon. Yeah. Jersey potatoes that came with the soil still on them. You have to wash them there and then. Because if they come ready washed, like you get in the packs, half the flavour's gone. So Jersey potatoes. Yep. Um, some broccoli, grilled mushrooms, and bayonet sauce. Okay? Yep. Um, gr- um, coarsely ground pepper on, the, um, on, on top of the grilled salmon. That would be lavish for Valhalla. <laughs> These Eastern herbs. <laughs> Norman cuisine, Eastern herbs. <laughs> you didn't say it had to be no, a Viking no. area, era no, no. food. Not at all. So I'm, I'm going with that. And mm. for pudding, yep. dessert, um, it really is a leitmotif here, and I really hadn't thought this through, is um, Guillaume chocolate, chocolates 
which are the chocolate seashells. Yeah. So the whole thing had meal has to be um, washed down with a, a good, um, uh, nice glass of not nice bottle of good French white white wine. Um, There's a theme here, isn't there? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and then a good espresso. Where to finish. A, a chewy espresso. Yeah. So still with all the bits in it. How's that? That's good. That, that, would yeah. be, that would be what I'd be taking. I, do, I think it might be the first time I've had a full course <laughs> meal. <laughs> Does that say something about me? <laughs> I don't full know. I can't remember. Meal. Yeah. I think that might be the first time someone's asked if they can have a three course meal. I mean, it's open to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's being chucked it, into the burial the... mound with you. So. But the interesting <laughs> thing of what you say is it's the choice of the people you leave behind. Yes. And when you're sort what of archaeologists and you know, sort of people thinking about that, really think that through. Mm. They think of it being the choice of the person, but it's not. And that's where it gets really interesting when you have you know, really important burials, like Sutton Who or Belziard or something like that, yeah. where the people they've left behind have decided to put the best sword in or, you know, Whatever, you know, when they're selecting things, really are amazing. And they've not gone with the second best one or the broken one or done a swap. Yeah. Or I'll keep that one. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. He's better than mine. So Give him the, the rusty rubbish one. one in, you know. Yeah. And, and people don't really think that through. Yeah. It's, you know, the person may have said what they wanted, but it's still the decision of those who left behind of how they're going to celebrate that person. Yeah. And then again, is, is it something they discussed in life, that these are the things I want to take with me? Yeah. Or was well, that... you look at something that's sudden here, it has to be. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's not a random selection of items, but they could, could easily have substituted things. Yeah. And they say some of the stuff takes years to make. Yeah, yeah. So you're yeah. planning, like, oh, I'm taking this one. Well, well, well then, the, but they're things that, but we know they're generally they're things that people used in life. Yeah. It's quite unusual to be fairly certain that they are not used in life. Mm. Certainly in the Saxon period, you know, things are clearly used. Yeah. I can't talk about the Viking period much, <laughs> I can certainly about the Saxon. Don't have many yeah. Vikings down in... Uh, no, down I don't know of many finds around this. I think there is a couple of small things, aren't oh, there? Oh, there certainly are. Yeah, yeah. some really interesting things. Um, you're happy me digress for a minute or two. If you've got time, then I've got yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a couple, couple of things, yeah. especially for the Patreon viewers. Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple of... There's one thing I think is really interesting, which is um, from the east side of the county, not far from Bedwin, mm. there's a find of an, uh, an Irish... Uh, a little mount, which is from an Irish reliquary. But it's been torn off. It's broken. Mm. Now, again talked in the main podcast about evidence, theories, and stories. Yeah. So I'm going to story mode here. Yeah. Remember that um, Malmesbury was established by an Irish monk. So when the Vikings were raiding, where might they have got an Irish reliquary from? Malmesbury? Yeah. It's possible. It's plausible, yeah. Whether they'll be coming east or not, I don't know. But, you know, so mm. it makes, makes you think. Yeah. So there are, a few, there are a few bits and pieces that might well be Viking sort of raiding treasure, if you sort of mean. We've got, uh, there's, we've got a few spearheads. There's, uh, we've got on display a, a stirrup, which again is interesting. So you've got Vikings, I think the army's marching, but of course the posh people, yeah. the leaders, would, may well, would have had horses. Um, and another interesting one is in the main podcast you mentioned Ramsbury mm. and of course there are Viking period, Viking style grave covers um, stone grave covers with uh, Viking period carvings on them. So the Vikings were here for a bit longer than we might think. Yeah. You know, there's always yeah. the idea that Vikings you know, came and raided through and went away again but actually there must be a bit more to it because you don't have a, mm. a stone grave cover carved with Viking-style ornament if you're 
unless just marching you're in, through on yeah, campaign. Unless it could be Saxons influenced by Viking. It's Viking. <laughs> <laughs> but I know there are examples where my, it's my family su support Manchester United. Would we want a Manchester City badge on anything we had? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. Yeah. You're not going to take on your, your you know, Viking or you're not going to use Viking style stuff if you've just been invaded by the uh, Vikings and kicked them out. I know there are examples of things um, like brooches mm. where you end up with a round, you know, Saxon shaped yeah. disc brooch. That sort of, that comes later. Yeah. But these are pucker Viking style yeah. things. It's another thing I've got to look into now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ramsbury and yeah. is really interesting because that's a, um, it sort of becomes a minster church. So yeah, it's really interesting mm. place. I've got a lot of homework now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. We'll do another one at some point if you're, you're down for it. Down yeah, the future, okay. we'll, I'm sure there's more we can cover. Perhaps not head cheese next time. <laughs> oh, do you want to do a quick social media plug for the museum or anything whilst we're... Yeah, well, if you want to find out more about us, visit, go to uh, wilkshiremuseum.org.uk. You might be interested that um, we, have a, uh, we run a whole series of online talks and lectures, and there's an amazing programme there. If you go to, the, to What's On and look under there, you see um, the catch-up bit of our, um, of, didn't know our about website. That. Loads and loads of really interesting talks. Um, so, and if you want to keep up with us with what we're up to, uh, we're at Wiltshire Museum on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Okay. And thanks for watching. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye, everyone. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give the show a rating. You can also help keep the show going by becoming a Patreon, where you'll get early access to all episodes. Or check out my range of merch on my store. Links are in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.